Welcome to the Studying the Bible podcast, where every Thursday, pastors Dylan Dodson and Brian Androsian study a book of the Bible verse by verse to see what is being communicated and how we can use it to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We pray that today's podcast can help you grow just a little bit closer to Christ. Well, welcome back to our online Bible study through the book of James. In this session, we'll be in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26. Now we left the first half of James chapter two, where James is giving a practical example of what does it mean to live out your faith? And he talked about favoritism. And then if we show, if we show favoritism or honor to certain people and dishonor other people, we are in effect judging. We are judging who deserves honor and who doesn't. And so James chapter two, verse 13 ends by James saying that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy and grace and love is much better than judgment because God has given us mercy and grace and love. And in the second half of James chapter two, he's going to give us another practical example of what does it look like for our, our faith to demonstrate? How, how, what does it look like for us to live out our faith practically in our day-to-day life? And so here's what he says, verse 14 of chapter two. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Now, again, brothers and sisters, he's talking about believers here. And this also signifies kind of a somewhat shift in a topic. It's kind of a new section, if you will. He's shifting from talking about favoritism to demonstrating saving faith. Right, the question is, is someone saved by works? Is that what he's saying? And we'll talk through that as we go through James chapter 2. Or, or maybe the question is, how are we saved and how do we know? Right? How do we actually know if we have received the grace and mercy of God and we actually believe it? Right? When he talks about faith here, he is referring back to the previous use of faith in James chapter 2, verse 1, where he talks about honoring Jesus and following him. In other words, faith in Christ saves us, and someone who gives no, but someone who gives no sign of actually following Jesus, uh, who actually demonstrates that their trust and their heart is aligned with him, is no better than someone who just follows Jesus by word. In other words, saying you follow Jesus is one thing, but if you actually do follow and trust in Jesus, it will impact how you live. Biblically speaking, what he's saying is having no desire to honor God and to honor God and to love people as he's asked us to do reveals a lack of faith. If we actually say we love Jesus and we want to be, we want to be transformed by Christ, we want to love people well, then how we live should demonstrate that we actually have received the grace of God, that we believe it, and that we believe people deserve dignity and respect, right? Biblically speaking, having no desire to honor God with how you live might demonstrate that you don't actually love Jesus the way that you might claim or say that you do. And so in verse 15, he gives us a practical example. Verse 15 and 16, he says this. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? Right? What good is it is to encounter somebody who has a problem and do nothing about it other than give them a well wish or a prayer or a statement of blessing, right? He's giving a practical example here. Now, to be clear, he's not saying a statement of blessing or a prayer for someone's well-being is the problem. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem, however, is using it as a cover not to actually do anything. The implication here is that he's giving an example where you come across somebody who has a need that you can actually do something about 
and you decide not to do anything. So this isn't like someone who's facing a, a big tragedy or a big issue in their life and there's nothing really you can do about it other than pray for them and hope well for them. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying somebody, he's giving the example of somebody comes in your path and specifically a fellow Christian, he says in verse 15, a brother or sister, he's talking about a fellow Christian comes in your path. You have the ability to help practically their situation and you decide to do nothing other than say, well, I hope things turn out for you. This is a sign. It raises the question of the spiritual state of us, right? It raises the question of verse 14. He says, my brothers and sisters, it raises the state of the spiritual situation of a Christian who sees a problem that they could help make a difference in, especially in the life of a fellow believer and decide, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to inconvenience myself in any way. I just hope that things work out for you. James is saying, what good of faith is this? What good of faith is this to know that you have been saved and redeemed and loved by God? And when you have the opportunity to extend that love to someone else, to love someone the way Christ has loved you, you decide not to do anything with it. What kind of faith is that? That is a useless faith, according to James. In fact, he says as much in verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Faith, if it does not have an outward demonstration, is dead by itself. The point here is that the words of an uncaring believer who fails to act or to help someone is as useless as a, prof is a useless profession of faith. It's a useless profession of faith of a believer who has no works. In other words, saying you love Jesus and you care, Jesus, care about what Christ has asked us to do, but then you do nothing with it, that is kind of a useless profession of faith. That, that might demonstrate that we don't actually know Jesus or trust Jesus or care about Jesus the way that we might say with our words. In other words, what James is saying here, that this type of faith is not only outwardly inappropriate, but it is inwardly dead, right? It is outwardly inappropriate not to care and care and love for a fellow believer when you have the ability to do so, but it is also inwardly dead. It demonstrates that inwardly you might not actually trust Jesus and want the Spirit to work in your life the way that you might yet say outwardly with your words, right? And in fact, this is how Jesus, how, this is how Jesus would respond, right? Now, to be clear, James here is not contra uh, contrasting faith and works as alternate approaches, He's not saying you either have fake faith or you have works. He's not what he's doing here. Instead, he's saying that, a, that faith that leads to action is, a, is the true faith, and faith that does not lead to action is not. Right? He's saying that if you love Jesus, if you've been changed by the gospel, and it does not impact how you live, do you think Jesus would respond like this? Right? Do you think Jesus, who came across the needs of many people and had the ability to help or show compassion would respond this way, right? The rhetorical answer to that question is no, right? Jesus, the son of God who came and loved God the Father, demonstrated what it looked like to care for those, what it looked like to, to love and care for the marginalized or the oppressed or the people who were less honorable or less wealthy in society, right? This is how Jesus would have responded. And so if we say we know Jesus, and if we say we love Jesus, but do not care about the needs and the hurts and the pains of those around us, then inwardly that faith is useless. That faith should lead us to action. Our faith is not a dead faith. And so in verse 18, he says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. Right? James here is responding to this hypothetical question 
about whether faith without works is dead and how to treat people who are in need, he responds to this hypothetical question by saying this, that faith and works are not meant to be divorced from each other. Right? They're not meant to be who has works and who has faith. They're not meant to be separate lines of a ledger, if you will. But, but in other words, they're to work together. Right? And he says, you can't show faith without works. That's what he's saying here in verse 18. He says, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith, show you faith by my works. That our works are to demonstrate. How else are we to reveal and to show people that we actually trust in Jesus and we care about Jesus and we trust that his plan is good, right? Faith and works are not meant to be opposed. They are not meant to be opposites of each other, but they are meant to work together. If we've actually been transformed by the gospel, that should impact how we love and care for other people and will demonstrate that we actually have been transformed by the gospel. And so in verse 19, he then says this. He says, you believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. In other words, knowing about God isn't enough. It's not just about having an intellectual idea that God exists, right? Or in this particular situation, again, he's talking to Jewish believers, simply having a Jewish heritage is not enough, right? Knowing about the true God without a saving faith should cause us to shudder. So he's saying, don't just rely on your intellectual belief that there is a God, or don't in their situation rely on the fact that you are the Israel, you are a Jewish person, you came from the chosen people of God. If you haven't actually trusted in Jesus, then it shows that your faith is actually dead. Again, following Jesus is not an intellectual exercise. The demons know that there is a God. And they shudder, right? Because they don't have a loving and saving and a gracious relationship with God. Instead, they have a judgmental and a wrathful God and they will have the punishment of sin and death will be on their shoulders when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead at his second coming. It's not an intellectual pursuit, right? Our, our, how we live demonstrates and shows that Christ has changed our life. It's not enough to believe God exists. We actually have to trust that he is who he says that he is, that he revealed himself in the man named Jesus. And if we believe that, it will impact how we live. So verse 20, he says this, senseless person, a senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? And so what James is doing here is he's giving a close to home example for these Jewish believers of what this looks like, of what it actually looks like to live out your faith. And he gives us the example of Abraham, he gives us the example of Abraham who offered up his son, who God said, you are, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And his old age, he finally has a son. And God says, I want to, I want you to offer up your son. I want to see that you actually trust me. Now, of course, we know how the story ends. Uh, God stops him from offering up his son and instead provides a bull as a sacrifice in Isaac's place. But in this moment, Abraham is demonstrating by his works that he actually trusts and God, he is demonstrating that he's actually given his allegiance over to God. And by doing so, his works have revealed that he's actually been justified. It's not that his works himself make him save, but it's his works that demonstrate that his heart actually has been redeemed and justified by God. Now, at this point, there's often the conflict that is, that is sometimes pointed out between James and Paul. 
right? Where, where Paul says we are justified not by works, but by faith. But yet James seems to be saying here, no, we actually are justified by our works. What's actually going on here? I think it's important to remember a specific thing that we sometimes forget when it comes to reading the Bible, particularly in the New Testament letters, that these are not theological treaties, right? James' letters, Paul's letters, they're not sitting down and writing a theology about God and how he operates and how we should operate. What they're doing is responding to specific situations and specific questions. Of course, this does not mean we can't take theological truths from the New Testament. We absolutely can. But it's not as if Paul and James are both in a room and writing conflicting reports. They are addressing specific situations with specific questions. And so sometimes the practical outworking of the gospel will look different in different situations. So I think that's just the first thing we have to understand. If it looks like sometimes there is conflict between certain New Testament writers, let's not, we need to do the hard work to see what situations were they addressing and what points were they trying to make. Because what we actually do when we see that is that these, these, these things about Paul talking about being justified by faith and not works, and James saying, no, our justification is revealed by our works, they're not separate things. They're addressing specific situations. And what James is saying here is that our works demonstrate our justification. It's not that our works actually save us, but they demonstrate that we've actually been saved. And if we don't have any works that demonstrate our, sal- our salvation, it may be because we have not actually been saved. Which, in other words, what he's saying here is how we live matters. How we live matters. Abraham demonstrated his faith. And I know this can make us uncomfortable in a 21st century context where we want to be clear that we are not saved by works. I get that. But we do have to wrestle with the text and how we live matters. And what this means is we can't just kind of show up on Sunday or have Bible studies or talk with our friends about following Jesus. But if our lives don't reflect that in any way, that's a problem. Now, of course, it's going to look different for everybody based on your your cultural background, what you grew up with, when you were saved. It's not like every believer is going to act a certain way, but the trajectory of our life, we should have things in our life that demonstrates that we have been changed by Jesus if we've actually trusted in him. And that is Paul's, James's point here, that Abraham demonstrated, when he says he was justified by works in offering his son Isaac, he was, he was demonstrating the fact that he was saved, that demonstrating that he actually trusted in God. Because if he had no demonstration, then what good is that faith? That is what James calls a dead faith. It's not that we're saved by our faith, but they demonstrate a heart that has been changed. And he gives another example in verse 23 and 24. He says this, or start, I guess I'll start in 22. He says this, and you see that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. That's the point. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Again, faith is active. He believed God. That was what saved him. And then his, his, his works demonstrated the fact that he has been justified, right? Faith alone saves us. You could put it this way, that faith alone saves us, but faith does not leave us alone, right? We are saved by faith alone, but it does not leave us alone. It changes how we live. Now, again, following Jesus, what this means is it's not simply an intellectual exercise. What this also means is it's not an individualistic pursuit, Right? In our Western culture, in our hyper-individualism, we have unfortunately shrunken our relationship to God between simply between us and God, and no one else should play any part about it. Now, it is true that we are saved. It is an individual decision and a, and a uh, response to Christ. No one else can save you, but your relationship with Jesus and working out your salvation, as it says in, New, in the New Testament, working out your faith, 
is not an individual pursuit, right? We need one another to do this. And that's what he's saying here. He believed God, it was credited to him, and he was called God's friend. Faith is not simply individual and it's not simply intellectual. We need one another to give us the opportunity to love and to demonstrate the salvation that we have received. And then verse 24, he says this. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Right? Salvation, in other words, is by faith, and then it moves us to action. Right? It is the outpouring or it is the overflow of that faith that produces works. Again, it's not simply intellectual. Right? You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. His point, again, if we want to demonstrate our justification, if we want to demonstrate our salvation, that faith alone that does not have any actions is a dead faith. And we don't follow a a dead God. We follow a vibrant and a living God. And that should impact how we live. And I'll give one more example, verse 25 and 26, the last two verses we'll read. He said, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works and receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Again, he's giving the example of the Israelite spies who came into Jericho before Israel was going to confront them. And the Rahab, who was a prostitute, who had heard about the, the power of God or the power of Yahweh, who hid the spies, courageously told the other people of Jericho that she did not know where they went, that she saved the spies because they, she had heard of Yahweh's power. Right? And so she trusted in that, and it was, her trust was demonstrated in the fact that she kept the spies safe. What, Paul, what James is saying here is that we need this type of faith, right? We need a faith that works, right? Because faith without works, it is a dead faith. And we do not follow a dead God. We need a faith that works. We need a faith that moves us to action, to care about the marginalized and oppressed, to care about those who are hurting, to not just simply pray and speak blessings over people when we have the opportunity to make a difference. That is a dead faith. And that is what James wants us to reject, that our faith, our salvation in Christ should impact how we live and and we see our faith demonstrated and how we love and care for other people. And so as I close, as always, I'm gonna give you three kind of main takeaways that we read. The first one is this, that following Jesus is not an intellectual exercise. We saw this a couple of times. This means that we cannot reduce our faith simply to be something between me and God and me and God alone. That's not how it works. Our faith is not simply an intellectual exercise. It moves us to action. It moves us to love. It moves us to care. And if it has not moved us to action, that is a dead faith. And it might reveal that we don't actually trust in Jesus, even though we might say we do, right? Faith following Jesus is not an intellectual exercise. It is an active and is a lifestyle. Second thing we see is that works demonstrate a heart change, right? Because faith, is, faith without works is dead, our works demonstrate that our heart has actually been changed, right? When we care for people, when we love people, when we don't show favoritism, when we honor people equally, when we help the people who come into our path, when we have the ability to help them, we don't look at people as inconveniences, there's people to kind of get over so we can go back to doing life the way that we want to do it. Works demonstrate a heart change, right? Faith without works is dead. And we do not have a dead faith. We have a living faith. And then finally, the third thing we see here is that faith is active. All of that to say, faith is active. It's not something we just think about. It's not something we read about and not do anything. That if we have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, 
And Jesus lived out and demonstrated this for us when he cared and loved for other people, that our faith ought to be active. Not in the sense of we do these things so that God will love us, but we do these things because he already has loved us and we want other people to see the saving work and experience the grace of God through us. Faith is an active faith. Our faith in Jesus is an active faith. And that is what James is getting at in the second half of James chapter 2.